1: Hello oh, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Lizzie Penny and Alex Hurst. They're the authors of the book Workstyle A Revolution for Well Being, Productivity, and Society. You may have heard the term workstyle at some point in the past. I thought I was familiar with it, too, but come to find out, they coined it a while ago, in fact. But it's not as permeated into our productivity language as I thought. But that ends now. Work style is now going to be a word that we use much more because of this book, I am sure. Because in this book, they're describing how work style is different from flexible or hybrid or remote working and why there is a difference and why that matters. They both have their own stories as to how they had their particular journeys towards their collaboration on this book, coining the term almost 10 years ago, working by themselves as well as with other companies through their company, Hoxby, to help thousands of people define their work style and help them have more autonomy, productivity, and well-being. We all need those things. Trust me, you're going to love this conversation with Lizzie Penny and Alex Hurst. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Lizzie Penny and Alex Hurst. Lizzie, Alex, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List.
0: Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So I am really excited. I received a copy of your book, Work Style, A Revolution for Well-Being, Productivity, and Society. And I thought, work style, that's a great word. I felt like I'd Heard it before, maybe even used it before without thinking of it. You know, it hit me and I'm like, wait a second. I'm not sure if I know what I mean or what they mean by this word. And come to find out, you coined this term. One, when did that happen and why did that happen?
2: Yes, we did. Like all good ideas the UK, it's a word that we came up with in the pug uh, one night. Actually, actually, it was at the back end of 2014. Around December, it was a cold winter's night. So we were sharing two for one dark and stormy cocktails and really just talking about frustrations with work and really that we wanted work to fit around life rather than trying to fit around work. And the term work style was obviously derived from the word lifestyle. So we were talking about how we are free to make choices that shape our lifestyle, but we don't have that same freedom of choice when it comes to work. Our lifestyle is expected to fit around the basic construct of 9 to 5, Monday and Friday, office-based working. And what if actually, we could be free to choose when and where we work, our own work style, so that we could sit, work around life. Wouldn't that be revolutionary? And well, that was really the starting point for what followed for the eight years since.
1: So I know that you're in the pub. Something catalyzed this thought of what if, why can't we? Can you explain a little bit or, or share your story, I guess, your backstory in terms of what led you to that discussion of coining that term? What were your experiences up until that point?
2: I'll go first. Okay. Just because I was kind of, I guess, kind of come on for this, but I wasn't sure if this is the kind of level of detail that your listeners would want to hear about, but for me... Our frustrations were very different, but for me, it was burnout. So prior to that point, I'd already realized that I needed to make some pretty major changes to my life. I was working 16 hour days, including commuting time, and I was doing it every day for, and I kept it for years. And the reason I was doing that was because I felt like if I was giving all I could physically in terms of the amount of time that I spent working, then nobody could ask any more of me than that not even myself. It was as much as I could give. But it took my wife, Sarah, telling me that I'd become a shadow of myself to realise that something needed to change. This wasn't working for me. I'd become detached from work emotionally. And I didn't really I didn't really have any feeling for our successes or for when things didn't go well. I was numb, really, to to what I was doing. So we took a week away on holiday, as I think most people probably would in that situation. But it didn't work. When we got back, I realised that nothing had actually changed for me. Yeah. My feeling about work was still the same. My relationship with it was was the same. And it was only when I realised that time away wasn't well, going to fix this problem that it became clear it was a mental challenge that would need me to think about a solution or derive a new way of thinking about work and my relationship with it. And so from that point on, I decided to stop validating my contribution at work and my value in terms of how many hours I spent working and start validating my contribution in terms of what I was outputting and the outcome of that work and try and attribute my value to those things such that when and where, how much work I did, where I did it, didn't matter. And really that was the, the change in thinking that I wanted to share with Lizzie that night, but her story is different. I'll be quiet now and let her take
0: over. Equally as important and just very different. For me, it was about having my first child. So it was when I had my son, Finn, that I would say my eyes were really opened to the enduring inequalities at work. And I'm kind of embarrassed to say that until then, I was relatively ignorant of those Inequalities, but suddenly my eyes were open to them and I didn't want to be at work during his every waking hour. I wanted to work during nap times or in the evenings. And like Alex, I wanted to be judged on my output rather than being at a desk at a time that traditional work told me that I should be. And so that was the thing that led me to the conversation in the pub with Alex. But it's actually since we came up with the word work cell that I've really understood the profound significance of it. So. Two years after that conversation in the pub with Alex, I had some serious complications in my second pregnancy with my twin daughters, Zoe and Megan, that meant I had to have surgery at 23 weeks, followed by nine weeks of bed rest. And being able to work during those nine weeks and being able to escape into my digital working world was just transformative for me. And it just helped to pass those really long, anxiety-ridden days at home on my own. And against the odds, both our daughters survived. And the day we brought them home from hospital and couldn't even begin to fit their double pram through the front door of our London flat, we decided it was time to move across the UK to the countryside. And I was able, with no disruption to my career. And actually, fast forward two years from there, and out of the blue, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2020. And as you can imagine, that turned my world upside down. But again, start working with my outlook. You know, it helped me to pass the hours in the chemotherapy chair. It helped thoughts of cancer not to fill my head and the cancer diagnosis not to define me. And almost unbelievably, since then, my husband been diagnosed with cancer. And so now I've fit my work around supporting him through his treatment, managing the side effects of my medication, looking after three small children, as you can imagine, no two weeks are the same for me. So I've really come to value being able to work when and where I choose more than I ever could have thought possible.
1: Well, one, I want to say thank you to both of you for sharing your very personal stories with this. Obviously, we don't take that lightly. That's definitely something that brought the issue to a head for both of you. And, and honestly, in a unique way, then you were both able to connect on that level and and really you know, flesh out this concept, what I'd love to do is get maybe a definition of what the work style word slash concept means to both of you help us unpack it. Again, I talked about it earlier. I thought, oh, yeah, that word. And then I'm like, wait, I don't know if I've used that word before. I feel like I may have, but I think people may be coming into this conversation thinking they know what it means and they may not exactly be thinking about it the way that both of you do.
2: Yeah. So we define work style as the freedom to choose when and where you work. And that is not the same as flexible working, which we can come on to, or hybrid working or any other mandated system that exists today. This is about giving people the actual freedom to choose when and where they work. Because what we know from our research is that autonomy Which is created by that freedom is what improves people's wellbeing. And the research also shows that that in turn increases productivity. So it's very important that an individual has the freedom to choose when and where they work for themselves. It's their work style to define.
0: I think also I'd just add to that that language is really kind of central to the book. It's something that really fascinates Alex and I and. One of the things that we felt was not only do we need a completely new system of work that's fit for the digital age that we live in, we also need a new language around work. And we wanted to move away from this kind of legacy of language, the language of work being something negative, you know, labor and travail and all of these words come from a very negative place, but also things like shirking from home, being a part-timer, be a flex pest. There are lots of negative connotations about working differently from the nine to five, five day a week working day, which is grounded in, you know, 200 year old industrial age thinking. So in coming up with the word work style, we wanted something that was quite neutral. You could say to someone, what's your work style? And you're not prejudging what that is. And what was really fascinating was when we first came up with the word, we tried just using it in conversation, just as an experiment. And whenever we used it in conversation, people would then use it back to us. They very naturally adopted it. And so I think for us, that was proof that this is a word that we all need and that should hopefully be adopted into the wider vernacular.
1: I love that. I think that's why I felt a familiarity with it, even though I don't know that I had been using it regularly up until the point of seeing it on the book cover or in the emails. But it felt natural. It felt right. And I think to your point, I think it feels like it connotates this, oh, you have a work style and you have a work style and everyone has their own work style, which is inherently what's kind of built into the meaning of the word. I'm curious, you know, to go along with that idea of sharing it and using it in public. So for others that may not have had those type of experiences, but can definitely relate to the concept you're talking about of work style, how do you start to introduce that? How does that look like in terms of you have the terms you bring? You mean obviously, you bring up the term productivity, which is what this show's all about also well-being and work style in a you know work-life balance that many more people are familiar with that phrase. But it's not just all about that. In other words, what was it about the current workspace or workplace or world of work, I guess, at the time of coining the term that dictated, no, we need to do this, like this is the moment? What's that context that you saw in the world for everybody, not just yourselves?
0: I mean, I think for us, Three big things were happening in 2014 when we had that conversation in the pub. And we often say, why didn't we come up with this earlier? But in truth, I think the conditions just weren't there for us to have done that. And so the three things that were changing were technology, demographic changes and independence. So the first was technology. And, you know, certainly we don't need to talk to your listeners about changes in the portability of hardware or the prevalence of Wi-Fi. But the thing that really changed in 2014 was that the first time we could tether to our mobile phones as a personal hotspot. And that meant that work went from being a place that we went to being a thing that we did whenever and wherever we could find space for our laptops, certainly for those in, in the knowledge economy. And we can come back to that. And online collaboration and communication tools also reached a tipping point that meant that we could work really productively, but also choose to work in a way that best suited us as individuals. So that was a massive change that meant that one size no longer had to fit all. The second big thing was this kind of rising awareness of demographic changes and specifically an aging population. So 21% of the worldwide population will be over 60 by the year 2050. And that probably includes a, a large proportion of your listeners. And as our life expectancy increases and where many nation states can't fund pensions and social care and families and communities just can't provide the support that's needed, older people will simply have to keep working for longer in order to remain financially independent. And so that creates a requirement for us to reshape our working system to facilitate those people staying in work for longer. And without it, businesses simply won't have enough people to do the jobs That need doing. So there was this big demographic catalyst. And then the third thing was attitudes to work and specifically kind of more independence to choose how we each earn a living. So lots of people started to trade the idea of a job for life for self employment or for a portfolio career. And we know that the freelance workforce is a huge makeup of the workforce in the, in the US. It's also the fastest growing labor force in Europe. And so. That independence brought a new level of self-management and also an opportunity to work in a completely different way. So for us, it was those three things coming together that really felt like the time was right for a new system of work that was fit for the digital age we live in, rather than the legacy of 200-year-old thinking that was built for an industrial age.
1: Well, and obviously that was 2014 and zoom ahead to almost 10 years later, including a period of the pandemic of two to three plus years where you've got lockdown and then gradual, you know, de-escalation of that and the technology that rose and not just rose, but uh, was quickly adopted, you know, more quickly than ever before. I hate saying those words now more than ever, but I, you know, that'll be my one time right now for this episode and for all episodes. I promise we've all been sick of hearing that. But I'm curious, obviously, now you coined the term 2014. The book's coming out in 2023, or did come out, I should say. Obviously, it's a slow, uphill integration, not only into your own lives, but people that you're working with. And obviously, the point of the book coming out now is to get that on a much larger scale. What have been some of the experiences in terms of integrating work style, finding your own, helping others find their own, and now to this next step of the book?
2: The big question. I'm going to start with some of the experiences, I think. So we started a company. When we came up with the idea of work style in the pub that night, we thought this is great as a concept. It must work, but we need to prove that it could work. We need to understand how this is going to work in real life. So we started a company called Hoxby in 2015 as the prototype, I suppose, the experimental playground for us to see whether WorkStyle works. As since then, then uh, we've delivered a lot of projects through Hoxby. It is a community operating model of around 500 freelancers globally who we bring together into diverse teams to deliver creative communications and transformation projects for clients like Unilever, AIA, Merck, B-Lab. I could go on. But the big thing that we found when we first started working this way was people didn't really know how to go about working in any other way than they were really used to, which was Monday to Friday, nine till five, or some slight variation of that. And when we would say to them, choose whatever work style works for you. If you enjoy surfing, go surfing. Fit work around that. If you've got caring obligations, do that. Work should fit around life. And this is one of the reasons why we created works in the first place, which was to give people a new language. But really, what's required is that language to help them overcome the 200 years of human conditioning to believe that work needs to be done in a fixed place at a shared time. So the first experience was helping people to do that. So we developed a methodology to help people set, project and respect their work styles. And so we've developed a lot of that thinking, which we can come on to later in the conversation, perhaps, that really what where we're at now is we've been testing it for eight years and we've learned Loads of stuff from having made an extraordinary number of mistakes, as you might imagine, testing something like this for the first time. But we did arrive at recall principles, but I'll, I'll let Lizzie talk those through.
0: Yeah, I think that, um, for us, this was always a big experiment, which is good and bad. You know, and um, it can be a roadmap, but I think we knew we were doing something that would be better for people's wellbeing, for productivity and for society. So it felt worth it. And I think we've, you know, we continue to learn loads of lessons. We continue to make mistakes. And I think that it has changed since the pandemic. We spent five years of people thinking we're a bit weird for working this way. Then the pandemic came along and everyone wanted to know, wait, how do you do this? And hence that turned into a book when we tried to kind of open source everything we were doing. We thought we're the limiting factor here. Let's put it in a book, which obviously went on to be the number one Sunday Times bestseller that it is. But I would say that very early on, we learned three really important lessons about working this way in practice. So the first one was be digital first, not physical first. And I think for those of us, and I include myself and Alex in this group, who have worked in traditional businesses in the past, it can be a total mindset shift to be digital first. But we don't have an office at Hoxley. Slack is our office and Google Meet is our meeting room and our water cooler is a digital channel in Slack. And yes, it's full of pictures of cats and dogs and babies and gifts and silliness, but it's a digital channel that people can dip into when it suits them. Which leads on to our second lesson we learned quickly, which is about working asynchronously. And that means, though I'm sure Many of you know this already, but that means basically working at a time when it suits us as individuals rather than working synchronously at the same time as each other. As you can imagine, that is a hugely inclusive way to work. You know, if I'm having chemo in the day, but I want to work in the evening, then suddenly I can when we work asynchronously as an organization. But it's also more productive because it means that you can tailor your working to the time at which you know you are more productive. And it can be really fun and highly collaborative if people set the right parameters, have the right combination of technology and establish really clear ways of working from the start. And then the third thing that we learned quickly was about investing in a trust-based culture. I mean, work style only works if it's underpinned by trust. And, you know, Alex and I are trying to lead by example with that. You know, we're as dedicated Mm -hmm. to our work as anyone is. We don't want to be judged when we're work- whether we're working from bed or working from the hairdresser or wherever we're working from. And I think we feel that trust is something that needs to be invested in. It needs to be role-modeled by leaders, it needs to be recognized, and it be- needs to be rewarded. It doesn't just come by itself. So those are the three things that we quickly learned and that we find ourselves continuing to say to people today, be digital first, work asynchronously, and invest in a trust-based culture.
2: I think those principles would have served a lot of companies well during the pandemic and during the big experiment because what we found and what we heard from lots of companies we were talking to was they were still doing meetings. They were just doing them on Zoom, for example, so it was still working synchronously. They were struggling to understand what one another was doing because they were still thinking in terms of presence rather than trust. But they were learning about digital-first technologies just weren't familiar with how to use them, how to adopt them into the culture and into the ways of working. And I think the other thing to consider and the thing that builds on those three as conditions for work style to succeed is the behavior of people in so much as if you give people autonomy, then with that autonomy comes a newfound accountability for output and delivering what you say you're going to deliver. If you can accept that accountability and start holding yourself to account for outputs rather than number of hours or presence, then you can start to reap the benefits of autonomy. There's lots of existing research out there that proves that autonomy improves work-life balance, job satisfaction, engagement, and productivity, and also that it reduces stress, staff turnover, and exhaustion. And so autonomy is really what we should all be aspiring to and and work style makes it possible i think i said earlier in the conversation that we conducted some research into this exploring the relationship between autonomy well-being and productivity over a four-year longitudinal study and found that the reason that autonomy increases productivity or one of the main reasons why autonomy increases productivity is through an increased state of well-being so this is why we're so passionate about this why we believe autonomy is what the modern workforce, the digital age workforce need in order to thrive when perhaps the industrial age workforce ride on shared place and shared time of work, because that was the best way to produce things then. And we believe that autonomy and work style and the principle that are the best way to get work done now in the digital age
1: Obviously, you've got some stories of working with people in terms of helping them to discover what their individual work style is, as well as organizations to not just implement, but allow and and grant, I should say, that autonomy. Let's go down both those paths. Let's start individual first. How do you suggest somebody's listening to this and they're like, you know what? I've never formally thought out what my work style is, or even have a a starting point to approach discovering what that would be. Let's start there. How do they start that? And then let's transition over to how do you integrate that when you're working with more than just one person? You're talking a whole organization, one, discovering it individually across the board, but then integrating that as a corporate structure.
2: Yeah, it's such a liberating thing to actually consider what your work style might be. If you could design it for yourself, when and where would you work and why? It's a step of questions that we're not familiar with because we're so used to the assumption that these things are determined for us. We're told where to work and when, and those are parts of our contractual terms. So when you say to someone, hey, you know, you tell me, when do you want to work? Where do you want to work? that opens a whole new line of thinking and and self-reflection that can be incredibly invigorating. And certainly, that's what we've heard from the work stylers who've done it. And the book helps people in a lot more detail than I could talk about now in, in going on that journey. But really, we split it into three phases. We start with set your work style, and then project your work style, and then respect work style. So for an individual, set, project, respect. And setting your work style really is thinking about your days, your weeks, your months with an open mind and a blank sheet of paper to rebalance work and life in the way that would most suit you as an individual. So I would start with what are my non-negotiable elements of life, for example. Unfortunately, I have to take my children to school. For eight forty-five, they have to be there. Then I cannot not do that. So that becomes a fixed part of my work style, as does the fact that they finish at three. So mm-hmm. there are some things that we have in life that are non-negotiable, and there are many, and they are all different for each of us. So what we would suggest doing is starting with those, and then looking at okay, what are the similar non-negotiable elements of work in terms of time and place? What am I tighty? And where do I have actually more freedom than I'm probably drawing on at the moment and identify where that fits within any given day or week. It's interesting to think in terms of a, a whole week as well, you know, because some people might want to work a weekend if their partner, for example, is around, but perhaps isn't around during the week. Everybody has an opportunity to work at a time that suits across 24 hours a day as well. Some people like working. In the evenings, if their partner's work shifts, you know they might want to to match their work style together. So thinking about those things in life that shape when and where work gets done is the best place to start. And think about what you're responsible for, what you're accountable for, and whether that work style will enable you to meet those accountabilities. And then once you've set your work style and you know what it is, then project it. And a big part of this is speaking into existence, just penning people and feeling okay to say that. My work style is I work nine till three, but I have an hour for me in there. And that's so that I'm around when my kids are at home. They don't even know I work. They think I'm some sort of DIY guy. Most of the time when they see me, I'm fixing shelves or doing something around the house, which is great. But the point is talk to people about your work style, tell people what it is, put it in your status or put it in your email signature, whatever means of communication you're using, communicate it, speak it into existence. And that will help you with the final pillar, which is to respect it. Respecting your work style can be one of the hardest aspects of this because it's about embedding routine, having boundaries, understanding, setting your own boundaries, knowing when to say no, and really having clarity about what your work style is and why you do it and communicating that to people is a really great place start. and um, we often find that people are very good at respecting other people's work style as well, with people users by nature. But they're perhaps less good at respecting their own work style. And so we suggest putting things in place to help nudge those boundaries and nudge the behaviour towards your work style. For example, you might want to schedule time to go to a class or at the gym or go to the, the supermarket. And those times might be an unusual time to force you into new thinking and into new behaviours. And those, those things can help you to reimagine how you live and how you work and start to individualise work, which I think we've kind of touched on so far in the conversation, but perhaps haven't nailed specifically down so far, which is that this is about individualising mm-hmm. work. So it's about removing assumptions around when and where work gets done and removing the stereotypes of how everybody should be working and that we should all be doing something the same. No, we should all be doing Perkins' right for us. And so individualizing work is really part of all of this. And when we talk about set, project, and respect your work style, that's what we're talking about, individualizing work. And with everybody understanding that that's what we're doing, we create new conditions for collaboration, which is when we could get into the conversation around teams and how it works within organizations.
1: Well, and one thing I want to call out, and, and we've addressed on this show in the past and may be helpful here to bring up, there are other factors beyond external where you have obligations to kids or caregiving or illness or physical qualities, et cetera. And it comes down to, Oh, I am an early riser or I am a, I am better suited to do tasks in the evening or certain tasks at certain times of the day that are just more appropriate for myself. And in fact, right now we're having this conversation. I'm recording super early in the morning. And for you, it's in the early afternoon. There's time zone. So autonomy slash I'm trying to think of what the right word, but just spread outness of organizations also factors in
0: global working anyway. People should kind of accommodating these factors. I think that's very true. I I was going to add to what Alex said that we also have tools to help people and worksheets to help people set, project and respect their work styles. Workstylerevolution.com forward slash join. You can join our Slack community for people who want to understand more about work style or be part of the community. Then in that community, we have tools to help people to set, project and respect their work style. Um, I was going to build on what you're asking as well about organization, because we've talked a bit there about individuals and how they can work in a work style way. But I think that is very tricky if you don't have an organization that is receptive to working that way. And we hear a lot that it depends on your line manager, which it shouldn't do. This way of working is a source of competitive advantage for those who embrace it and adopt it at an organizational level. And so we, I would say that we spent eight years experimenting with this ourselves. That's what the book is about. But our next book, which we have not started to write yet, will be about taking this to other organizations and learning how work style can be applied within the constraints and with the idiosyncrasies of specific organizations. And that's the bit that's really fascinating us now. So we're working with organizations to create toolkits for them so as to roll out work style working, but also to create training. So that for many organizations, they won't say, yes, we're going to adopt work style and we're going to do it next year. They'll recognize that actually autonomous working is the future and they need to move there within the next five or 10 years if they're not to struggle as an organization, because this will ultimately be the key to attracting and retaining talent as well as making the most productive use of your workforce. And so for those organizations who recognize they're on the journey, we are creating modules to help them to take the steps they need to, to support their employees and their workforces in working more autonomous and doing so with the right psychological safety, with feeling confident to bring their authentic selves to work and to talk about the elements of their life that they need to Mm -hmm. work around. And then we're also looking for 10 work style pioneers. So 10 organizations, and this, our hope is to then feature them in the book. So 10 organizations that want to pilot work style and then hopefully roll it out to their organization. And we have a few signed up, but we're looking for the broadest variety of organizations possible, charities, public sector organizations, large corporate, small startups, so that we can see work style in action in as many different contexts as possible.
1: That's great. And one, can't wait for the book. I know it's going to be couple years maybe depending upon how fast you know who signs up and how you study them and all that kind of good stuff but definitely needed and definitely needed to integrate into the current work climate essentially i'm glad that you're leading the the fourth front on thought in this regard my question is have you seen anybody start to implement this or experiment with this so far and what have the results been? Because I'm curious. You know, we've all been in places where it's like, oh, well, they have exceptions, so they get to do that, or the this then and there when and how. And we're kind of, I'll just be truthful. We're kind of like, oh, I resent that a little bit because I wish I could do that, but I don't have any air quotes real reasons. To do that. Now this is past me talking to even further past me in this scenario. These days, I'd like to feel I'm a little bit more enlightened and accepting and, and actually permissive with that. I'd like to say, no, you do what works best for you. But back then, that's how I would have felt. And I'm assuming there's a lot of others that would feel that way as well.
0: Yeah. I think absolutely. And we talk in the book about how work style is different from flexible working. And we describe it as different in three ways. So firstly, flexible working is flexing around an outdated industrial age system. It's just tweaking it at the edges rather than a new system that's fit for the digital age. The second is for lots of groups who are excluded from work, flexible working just isn't making any difference at all. You know, carers, the aging population, people who identify as neurodivergent. But the third element is what you're talking about there, which is it creates in-group, out-group dynamics. The prevailing way of working is still nine to five, five days a week. And so anyone who works differently from that is seen as you know, special in some way. And the reason is because people have to have a reason to ask for it. And they kind of feel like, well, basically it's kids. I don't have kids. I can't ask to work differently. And we don't think that's the way it should be because Forget all of your circumstances. Yes, those might make you straight excluded from work. And it's really important to include those people. Just at a productivity level, as you said, everyone has a different circadian rhythm. Everyone does deep and shallow work in different locations at different times of the day. I do some of my best thinking when I'm hanging out in the laundry mid-morning or when I'm going for for a swim after I drop the kids at school or when I'm you know waiting for my husband in the hospital. It doesn't mean that I'm not working. It means that I'm resting my neural pathways to make new connections and I'm doing creative thinking. And so I think, as Alex says, this is about individuality. This is about recognizing that we each work in our own way and work most productively in our own way and empowering us to each look after our own well-being in doing so. So for us, I think it's the combination of those things, but it's therefore it therefore needs to be a system that is universally applied rather than it being something where someone says, Oh, can I work in a work style way? For us, this isn't about the single person and the organizations where we've seen it work really well are where there's a clear champion of work style working, particularly at the senior level. And they then make it something that's available for everyone and where work style documents are public on a shared intranet or something that's visible for everyone and where they use the right language and have the right culture to underpin it. So yes, we have seen that in organisations and it's transformative in terms of both productivity, but also in terms of the human level that people get to know each other on. Because suddenly you know what's going on in someone's life, where before you're expected to shut that off and and keep that out of the work conversation.
2: I think that's one of the most important parts of it that Lizzie's just touched on at the end there, which is by having a work style and by communicating it to one another, we connect with each other in a way that we've never done before. We we start to understand the lives that one another is living when we're not messaging each other or talking to each other, to each other about work things. And that connectedness has been probably the thing that the more advanced organizations would say has been transformative. And by that, I mean organizations who are already working Digital first, asynchronous, trust based, but looking for something more in terms of cultural gain. So even for those organizations, being able to unite people to, to a deeper level, which you wouldn't think is possible actually, because a lot of the criticism we get is how can you possibly connect with one another if you're not sitting in the same room is surprising, but it is, it is the case for a lot of those organizations. For me, as a middle aged white man who probably is the last candidate for civil working within a traditional organisation. I have found that working to my own work style has been truly transformative for my mental health. I haven't really talked about what's happened since reaching burnout and since working in a work style way. But for me to be able to fit my work around my life and to work in a way that's better for me has seen my mental health improve steadily year on year, and that has been great for the quality of my relationships with my wife and with my kids, and it's also been transformative for the quality of my work. So even for people who think they don't really need to work in a different way, the reason for that is because they they don't they're not yet exposed to the benefit of it and haven't yet felt how good it can be. So it's something of an unknown. But having lived through it, I can say that. I would never go back.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of people probably that are in the same boat where they're starting to feel that uneasiness to varying degrees. And and again, they may not have experienced burnout or other family complications, personal or otherwise, but they just know something's off. They're living in an outdated system. What is some guidance that you would give maybe to somebody who wants to transition to living out a work style and determining that, but they're not sure where to start?
0: The first thing I think we would say is to read the book (laughs) um, because I think it's provide certainly for us writing it, and we'd already been working this way for eight years, it provided real clarity on just how robust the argument for working in this way is. The second thing we would say is use the word work style to the cat or the dog or, or to a friend and just try it out for size. And then the third thing would be speak to others in your organization about starting to work that way. Whether you want to be part of a pilot or whether you're can, you in a leadership position and you can create the change yourself, each of us as individuals can create that change by coming together. So for us, I think it's about just starting to use it and starting to be more open about what your work style is. Because also if you create your work style document, even if you don't share it with someone at work, You then do have a clear idea of what's in your mind of of the way you would like to work. And then you can start to, I think, reframe your thinking about your own working practices.
1: Yeah, even if you can discover your own personal work style, even if it's not something that others may be ready to fully accommodate, there are still ways for you to have agency in your own, using your own work style to Oh well, I can gain a half hour here, or I can flex, and it's not just flexing. But I'm using simple yep, terms yep. here. You can flex this, and it makes a huge impact. And you didn't even consider it before, but now you are. And that's just one step. And then there's another. I mean, there's probably a good five to ten things anybody could do that doesn't have anything to do with your team or your, you know, who you report to or whatever. That just optimizes yourself as a starting point.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: Sometimes that can feel a bit selfish. I think we're all very good at doing what we're told and pleasing other people. We're very bad placing value on things in our life that work or absolutely mandatory. We, we find it hard to place value on the time that we might need to go to the gym, for example, or to eat a good meal or to go to bed early. There are things we could prioritize for ourselves above work which i think is helpful as an exercise to start doing to start thinking about okay what is actually important to me and how can i start to make those things a bit more important than what i'm doing for my work let's say
1: yeah, it's, it's gonna make a huge impact, I think. And I, I just know that as more people get into this book and ideally the next book as well, but as you're continuing to work and make this a more just standard word in people's vernacular, it's gonna make a huge impact. I'd love to drive more people to the book, obviously. Can you share where people can connect with you as well as grab or get a sample of copy of, you know, what's in the book. Also the URL for the Slack that you were talking about earlier.
0: Yep. So um the book's available from Amazon.com and all good bookshops. There's a lot more detail about everything at Workstar Revolution dot com and if you go to the join page there you can see a link to join the Slack community. And please do connect with Alex and I on LinkedIn or follow us on Instagram. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the book. And we recognise that not everyone will love this book. The point is it's a starting point for a conversation about a very different future of work from the one that we live in now.
2: Could I just add as well, if you're not a big reader, if you prefer to listen, if you're still sort of stuck in the days where you commute and you prefer to listen while you're on your commute, then it's also available as an audiobook, which is quite an exciting version of the book because it involves participation of lots of people telling their own work style stories, as well as participation of uh, geeks who we recruited to contribute to the book, the science behind all of this great stuff as well. So if you prefer an audiobook, it's on Audible
1: too. Perfect, yeah. And hey, podcast listeners, audiobooks are basically just a really long podcast. You can pause it at any point. So I would suggest that highly. In fact, I'm kind of curious about getting that myself just to kind of have it as a review. So
0: you're not sick of our voices yet then.
1: No, 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 not at all. In fact, I love listening to the London slash British, etc. accent. So it's always nice. <laughs> it's always nice. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Pleased to be of service. Yes. Double awesome this time around, obviously. So lizzie alex it's been great talking with you can't wait to have you back when the next book comes out so open invitation i know no pressure no pressure to start on that right away but you you already are going that direction so thank you so much for being here
2: pleasure thank you for having us
0: thank you so much for having us
1: well that's another podcast crossed off your listening to do list i hope that you enjoyed this conversation with lizzie penny and alex hurst don't wait. Go grab a copy of WorkStyle. You'll find the link in the show notes as well as a link to find out more about them and more about the book in the show notes at list.com. And if you enjoyed this conversation, I would love for you to do me a favor and share it with somebody that you know needs to hear it. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice. Let them know about this episode. Check out back episodes. Follow and subscribe if you haven't already. And I will see you next episode.